From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to AutoLine Detroit. I've got three top analysts in the automotive industry joining us this morning to give us their analysis of what's going on, starting with Rebecca Lindland with IHS Automotive, also with Eric Merkel from AutoConomy, and John Walkonowitz, also with IHS Automotive. Great having you all here. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Let's here. start the analysis. <laughs> What's going on with sales in the American market right now, Rebecca? Because, you know, we've been building month over month over month over month, getting better and better and better, and then we hit June and sales go down. What's right. the rest of the year going to look like? I think the consumer's really nervous. And I think that the economy isn't recovering as much as they wanted to. The jobs numbers continue to be just weaker. Everything's just, the recovery is just a, not quite as robust as we would like to see it. We actually had been in discussions about lowering our forecast, and we did that after the June numbers came in and sort of confirmed our worst fears. So we went from 11.8 million units to 11.4 million units for 2010 SAR. Ooh, I hate hearing when those sales <laughs> forecasts go down. Eric, how do you see it? Well, I, I think uh, we will get a lift. We will get a turn as we get into the second half of the year. It's it's very similar to, uh, you know, when you look at uh, air, gasoline, and you need a little spark, and then we get a combustion. Well, the same thing is going on in the economy when we look at corporate profits and we look at the cash that's out there on corporate balance sheets. Eventually, as you come out of a recession, uh, you know, uh, investors like to see that you're doing something with their money as opposed to just hoarding it all in cash. So eventually that money will get invested and when it is invested you'll start to see hiring I think improve. And keep in mind we still had over 700,000 jobs created in the second quarter of this year compared to the first quarter. So we are seeing some improvement as Rebecca said not as much as we'd like but I think that that will start to come as we get into the second half of the year. Once we have job stability and jobs start to come back, that's fertile ground actually for better auto sales. We're also starting to see lending standards loosen up as well. So those types of things, again, you a little air, a little gas and a spark and we, we've got it, we've got combustion. What's so, your annualized rate for sales at? I think, I think we can still hit the 12 million mark. I think that the second half is going to be better than what we saw in the first half. And yes, uh, you know, I will agree with Rebecca, June was um, disappointing. I, I agree with that. But, you know, when we start taking a look at the monthly data and we look at the overall trend, you really have to step back a little ways and look at uh, long period, longer periods of time because I think the overall trend, we're still seeing things move higher in terms of, uh, in terms of sales and in terms of light vehicle demand. So do you agree? I mean, uh, are you willing to go up a little bit if things start to look better in the second half? I think they have to go up so much that we're, we're, not, we're not seeing that from a GDP perspective, from housing, uh, fr from a number of economic indicators, let alone global indicators, just looking mm -hmm. at the U.S., but certainly what's going on in Europe is having a negative impact also. And consumer confidence. I mean, at the end of the day, it is about, you know, getting those retail sales improving. And we just, we're just not seeing a kind of comfort level. People aren't feeling like, okay, the worst is over. It certainly is better than last year. Certainly, yeah. But just the fact that we're still talking about 11s or getting excited about 12, that's yeah. not I, fabulous. <laughs> I, I think, too, you know, when we start taking a look at the turn, we are eventually going to, I think, month to month, we're going to consistently beat a 12.5 SAR. Now, is that going to happen July 29th? 
1.31 in the afternoon, or is it going to happen on September 17th at, say, 4.35 in the afternoon? I don't know. It's not that precise. But I think when we do get that turn, it's going to be pretty significant to the upside when it does occur. And I think we're very close to that. I oftentimes compare it to an earthquake. You know, the two plates and they start building up a lot of pressure. It never releases just nice and slow and gradual. As you build that pressure in the economic system, eventually that snaps and we start to get that upside momentum. Let's look at uh, another part of the market right now. John, we're about a year after General Motors mm -hmm. and Chrysler's bankruptcies. How do you assess the health of the patients and where do you see it going from here? Well, I think GM is, is far healthier than anyone thought they could be at this point. It's been an amazing recovery from a very short and very calculated bankruptcy. But wow, you know, they're still number one in U.S. sales. Who would have thunk that just a year ago? Especially getting rid of four brands. Yeah, Who would have thought right, that it could right. simply maintain a, right, right, the right. same market share? And you know, a lot of that was built in before, the, the, the product thrust that, that really began in the 06-07 time frame. But uh, yeah, they're doing really well. Uh, not as well as Ford but they're doing really well. Chrysler even, I think, in the last six months, the picture has gotten rosier. Uh, you know, when we went to the Chrysler uh, show in November, November 4th, uh, we were very concerned that the uh, market share numbers that Mr. Marchione was putting up, and, and which were the basis of everything he was talking about, they were in some cases double what we were forecasting for Chrysler. I, I would say, I w in my opinion, they're still unrealistic. I think they from are a market still, share standpoint. They are still unrealistic, but what kind of turned the tides for me in particular was when they made money in the first quarter. And my view, Yeah, my view on that is the market is not going to be worse than the first quarter of 2010 for a long, long time. And yeah, they made a very meager amount of money, but the fact that they made money there, as the market starts to improve, uh, they're likely to be able to fund their new product programs. Likely, I and mean, we're not sure of it yet, but it's looking a lot rosier. I think it's about making it through the next two years yeah. for them. You know, they're halfway sure. through, they're six months into the 24-month kind of lack of product. <laughs> so I think it's about coming out of that. But to John's point, I, that's what impressed me too, is that they made an operating profit with no new product. Right. I mean, nothing. nothing. Every, right. The newest stuff is two years old. Yeah, yes. And the stuff they yeah. have on the market today, really, they, Mark Yeon says it himself, it's not competitive. What do you all make for, uh, or how do you assess Fiat's chances in the U.S. market. Fiat, not as, as taking over Chrysler and fixing everything there, but I mean bringing in the Fiat brand. Can it work? Well, right now I think they're still just planning on the 500 and bringing in Alpha products. Mm -hmm. And so, I, and I think that that's, it's a risky strategy, but I think it's riskier with Fiat if they were to pull that off. But right now our understanding is they're still just bringing in the 500. Right. Which, if people think the Mini is a small car, wow. <laughs> exactly. Although, the people tell me that the interior room of the 500 is actually bigger than the Mini. 
I'm going to have to get in the car and check it that out myself. Be, That's what they're telling you me. You know what? It doesn't matter. It's yeah. the, the wow. size of what you see driving down the road that really matters. And gee, with all those semis on, on the road, do Americans really want a car that size? It's, it is, it's going to be, yeah, it's a little unnerving to get in a car that small. Mm -hmm. yes. You feel like you should actually have a helmet on. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> uh, because it is very small. I do think it will have play out will have a little niche pre presence mm -hmm. like similar to the mini maybe not to the same scale as the mini right. but certainly it's got a little bit of a cute factor uh, I don't know that Americans will really be able to connect with it as well as they did with the Mini because they were familiar with the Mini. Right. The 500 we're not as familiar there. with yeah. as, say, the right. Italians yeah. would be. I do think, though, that Alpha has a good chance because Alpha provides a nice alternative if you don't yeah, want yeah. a German yeah, exactly. European vehicle. And they're just so gorgeous. And they have yeah. such you just a want to catch them all the time. Them. You know? just the yeah. name. <laughs> Alfa Romeo. Exactly. It's fun to say. <laughs> <laughs> We've given them our carbs, but you know? They don't make money. They don't make money in Europe. Right. So. Details, you know. <laughs> details, details, details. <laughs> but that's what we've always said about these cars is, oh my gosh, great heritage, beautiful styling, some of the best mass market styling out there, maybe the best. They've always had good engines, aluminum, this and that and the other thing, you know, overhead cam, multi-valve, they were there back in the 50s doing that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But they don't make money. So I mean, right. if you can't make it work in Europe, how are you going to make it work here? Oh, that's a good question. And, and you know, bringing another premium brand into the U.S. market right now, it's not going to be easy. No, and you can say that really with just about any brand that you bring into the U.S. Yeah. market now. It's so saturated. There are so many competitors. In fact, you know, I fully expect that we'll see many of them be washed out, such as the Mitsubishi's mm. and the and the Suzuki's and a lot of the small players. So to bring, to your point, yeah. John, bring other brands in, it, it makes it very difficult for anyone to really get a good foothold in the market. Right as now. long as we're speaking of Chrysler, of course, the, the, the big one is the Grand Cherokee, the big launch mm -hmm. that is for the company. Mm -hmm. Critical, critical, critical launch. What, what do you all make of this vehicle and, and can it turn the corner for Chrysler? I, I think they'll need more than the Grand Cherokee. I think the Grand Cherokee is very well done, very well executed. Uh, it really, in my mind, represents a turn for Chrysler because I wasn't just looking at it from, okay, the Grand Cherokee, but I was looking at it in terms of their product execution. And can they can continue that on a consistent basis going forward? That will be the real important question. But in terms of the tolerances and the tightness of the fit of the body panels, it's something that's noticeable as you walk up to the vehicle. Um, the Overland, I thought the interior was was really nicely done, mm -hmm. but when you drop off from the Overland, it starts to go down just a, just a bit. It's not quite as exclusive. It doesn't have the real wood like you would get in the Overland. Mm -hmm. So there are some corners that were cut, but off-road capability, it's cheap all the way. It's uh, really quite capable off-road. I think the fuel economy may be disappointing for yeah. some people, too. Um, but if that's not a concern of theirs, because there are still people mm -hmm that it's not their number one priority. You often hear that it is, but it, it will fill that for people that really just are dedicated to Jeep and, and want to see it. What kind of fuel economy are they talking about? 19 and 22 or 23, yeah. 24? Yeah, With was, the six. Right. With the six. Yes. And I, I remember when I was driving out in California on the ride event, yeah. it was, I was on the highway when we were checking in on the highway, about 22, 23, according right. to the Which is better than the previous, but it's not okay. great right. comparatively, but know, you know, to Ford's what... Ford's been bragging that it's going to get a 30% improvement in fuel economy with its Explorer with the two-liter yeah. four-cylinder EcoBoost engine in there. 
But uh, I got to believe if Ford, I know that these guys are desperate to put a 30 mile per gallon mm -hmm. highway rating on that yes. new Explorer. Couldn't that change everybody's perception about SUVs and I bring more people into the segment again? I think it's going to. And, and that's why I'm really surprised that Chrysler didn't lead off with at least direct injection on the new six-cylinder engine. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't do everything that was, was feasible. And I think they're going to pay the price. I really think that I think the new Grand Cherokee is a beautiful vehicle. It's the nicest Grand Cherokee ever. But I am concerned about the powertrain offerings in terms of its competitiveness. Wow, that's a statement. <laughs> so, what, to the, the, I mean, that would really be an achievement. I mean, for Ford. To um, do a 30-mile-per-gallon yes. rating. That would it'd be incredible. Yeah. Well, what are people buying these days? I mean, we keep hearing, you know, all the polls, and, you know, when you go out and ask consumers, this is my opinion, what they want in a the car. They'll always tell, oh, fuel economy, mm -hmm. and, and it's got to be safety. And then when they walk into the showroom, it's like, hey, what's the best premium sound system I can buy? <laughs> well, but keep in mind, too, like, our version of improving our fuel economy we drive the world's largest vehicles. Mm. So our version of improving that is to go down one segment size. You know, and guess what? We're getting a lot better fuel economy. Globally, we're still nowhere close to the kinds of vehicles that we buy. But our fuel prices are amongst the cheapest in well, the world. Of That's why. Right. Right. And, and we, I mean, we buy more fuel-efficient vehicles if the right. fuel costs more. Right, but we don't also see a really significant change in fuel costs because diesel is going to become much more in demand. And as you make diesel, you make gas. Right. You know, as you distill that barrel of oil, guess what a byproduct is? Just what the U.S. market wants. Mm -hmm. So there isn't a strong push. We have to see significant changes in policy in Washington. And I'll tell you what happened in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. where John and I both live. They wanted to put a 19 cent ga gas tax on. Oh, my gosh. Even in oh, Taxachusetts, it, it was the end of the world. So instead, they raised our sales tax from 5% to 6.25%. Which raised more money, I'll bet. And that passed with and no problem. Right. No, right. Just don't touch it's, my gas tax. Right. Wow. It's, it's, I mean, you know, it's political suicide. It, it is really political is. suicide. And Absolutely. everybody in politics understands that. We're never going to see a gas tax here unless something drastic changes. Right. And that's why we see Europe looks like it does because of their gas tax, because of mm -hmm. other re regulations, policies, and such. Sure. And so the idea that we're suddenly going to start to look like Europe, you know, we're so far from that. We are far from that. And yet cafe regulations are essentially going to dictate the same kind of fleet yep. that is sold in Europe. Well, Washington really doesn't understand what the rest of the Wait, world wants. Right. <laughs> right. I, I, you're, you're yeah. Instead of pulling it. Pulled. Right. Well, and right. you're really pushing the responsibility of it onto the auto company. Oh, there's right. no question. Yes. No and question. you will have unintended consequences, as we always have in the past with that kind of a thing. Well, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record because, you know, we've been saying this since the new fuel economy regs came out. But mm -hmm. by the time Washington wakes up to the fact that, oh, nobody's buying millions mm -hmm. more of these small cars. They'll buy small cars. Right, right, yes. But not millions, millions. more. Right, right. It's too late. The industry's it already made late. the investment. Yeah. Right. And, and suddenly you're going to see the unintended consequences that we talk about all the time. And you're going to see huge demand for used vehicles or right. people are going to keep their existing non-green vehicles right. longer. Mm -hmm. And you're just delaying the greening of the fleet. Mm -hmm. Which is exactly what we are seeing. Cars are, yeah. you know, we had Steve Polk here the other day mm -hmm. and he was saying cars are the oldest they've ever, ever, ever been. been. Truth right. be told, they're so much better in the last 10 years than they ever were. Well, they last a lot longer. That's right. And so now people want to keep them longer and they're finding, hey, it works. 
Right. But people in this, as, as you know, John, people will go out and they'll buy a new car not because they have Absolutely. to. It's because they want yeah. to. Yes. yes. But, if but if it comes down. But if it comes down during a recession. It's not what they want. They can make it last. Right. Well, or they can't find what they want. Yeah. If you know? I can't get exactly. a Suburban anymore I, and exactly. I can't tow my boat, you know, what am I going to do? But back to your point, though, John, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see a real dichotomy in the marketplace. So small cars, I think we will have people that will want small cars. Now, to a certain extent, you know, the Fiat 500 may be going a little too excessive along that order. But uh, as you get these younger buyers coming into mm -hmm. the marketplace, they're going to want affordable, economical transportation, not anything different than what their parents were looking for in the 70s. That's all they have. Their version. Baby boomers aren't going to be able to get down into a smaller vehicle because of as they get older, you know, we all get a little larger, <laughs> and you know, we have you know different types of health ailments that don't allow us to get into some of these smaller vehicles. But the younger generation, their version of affordable is a used three series. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I mean, that's the thing is that the, right. because cars, because there's not as much model year differential as there used to be, you can get, you know, a five, six, seven year old mm. three series that looks fantastic. Except right. for one right. thing used car prices, as you guys know, are going through They the are, they yes. Are. And, and exactly for this very reason. But see, yeah. the, the new, the youth, we usually see this, though, as, again, during a recession, you have more demand. If people have to make that choice, they choose used creates more demand for used, you see, you start to see tremendous price appreciation in mm -hmm. used vehicles. And we're also, we saw some price appreciation in new, but I still don't think it's going to hold very well. We just saw it because of the cash for clunkers, drained out a lot of excess inventory. Mm -hmm. um, so used new car prices really aren't, they still don't have the traction that I'd like to see. But as used car prices go up, I think it'll make much, it'll make it much easier for people to make that shift as they make the economic justification to go from used to new. Why do I, am I going to buy used when I can go and I can buy new for not anything new? Because in a yeah. bar, while you're standing there trying to impress somebody and you say that I have a $23,000 Fiesta right. or a $23,000 3 Series, right. guess who's going home yeah. with somebody <laughs> else? Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole point. Yeah. That's the whole Or a used Corvette that we were looking <laughs> at last night. You know, I mean, no, that's the thing. Is really, <laughs> what we've, we've done a lot of study of Gen Y, uh -huh. and one of the things we've learned is that they won't wait for premium. They were brought up in a very premium fashion by their baby boomer parents, and they don't want to wait for it. So uh, buy a new Focus? I don't think so, because I can get a three-year-old 3 Series for the same money. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing happening. So again, this idea that just by creating nicer small cars, people are going to flock to them See, is not necessarily going to happen. I, th I think time will have to tell because the thing of it is, is what we've seen, what I've seen in the small car segment, it's just been transportation. Um, a Toyota Yaris, mm -hmm. uh, Nissan Versa, uh, you know, if you look at a Toyota Corolla, it, really they're all... It's just good. Set of wheels to get from A to B. Mm -hmm. But th there isn't anything that really is, in my opinion, a motive. I think with the Fiesta, I think that's the first vehicle, really, in the subcompact segment. That's Honda Fit, got too. That. Honda Fit, the Mini Cooper, if you can I mean, you're going that's, up, yeah, now you're yeah, going up to a different price point. But take and then the I Fit think as the focus, an example, though. The Fit sells all right, but it's not burning up the sales charts. That's a great point, John. Mm -hmm. And now let's talk about the next category that's about to break on the market, electric vehicles. 
I'm all analyze, well. analyze. <laughs> <laughs> See, I continue to have the issue as somebody that lives in the city, which these are targeted towards urban dwellers. Where am I going to plug it in? And GM people are going to laugh because I've been asking them since they showed me the vault. I live on the sixth floor. The infrastructure isn't there yet. It's coming. It is coming, yep. and and it needs to happen even more. You know, but it, it's something that is is a reality and, and and range anxiety. I know these are sort of the same things, yep. but it really is true. You know, I, I took the mini out in in the E in, in a part of the country I wasn't familiar with, and as soon as I started to go a little faster, my range went down, and I thought I have to turn around, <laughs> and you know, because I can't get nervous. stuck. Exactly. exactly. You know. Exactly. And I, I agree with you, Rebecca. I think the infrastructure, and we don't know if, you know, the government is going to continue to support the investments that need to be made into the infrastructure. Right now, right. of course, it seems like the, the government's all on board, but we don't know, I mean, what's going to happen in the House and the Senate mm -hmm. in the fall. Uh, will Obama be reelected? We don't know those things. I so. actually would love to see the application in like fleet, in, in you know, FedEx trucks, UPS trucks, trucks, you know, oh, commercial that vehicles that, that return to the same location, yeah. you know, and that's the and push. And somebody's job is to plug it in yes. so it gets plugged in every night. Exactly, and, and that's the push that even, and for hybrids as well, the hybrid taxi cabs, all the future technology, that's where we need to start with the commercial mm -hmm. and rather than the And the I think that's what you're retail. seeing with Ford, with the transit. I mean, the, yes. when the transit yeah. goes exactly. electric, that exactly. is the perfect application, perfect application. Makes so for an electric sense. vehicle. Yep. It makes right. perfect sense, but for, you know, for, I, you know, I live, most of you know that I live on the west side of the state over in Grand Rapids. If I had an electric vehicle, I would get the other set to the other side of Lansing and I'd be pretty much done. <laughs> but everybody knows, you know, it, you know, most, much of America is a multi-car household. So yeah. you go, oh, today I can't take the electric, you know, I'll switch with somebody in the household and, you know, yeah, I'll get to where I need I, to I go. I don't want to have to plan America. Right. So we just don't want to have to plan exactly. like that. Right. And then the the other thing is, is if you forget to charge it, what, yeah. and if you need a charge, I can fill up my tank in five, mm. in five minutes. How Not eight hours to, to recharge. Right. Right. right, exactly. So it becomes a bit of a, I think we could see some, uh, you know, at least early on, I think we could see some a bit of dissatisfaction amongst consumers that might say, oh, good, finally an electric vehicle. I'm going to go out and I'm going to be the first one to buy it. And then they, they find out that there are some real shortcomings. Yeah. Here's my question, though. Two years from now, Electrics are going to be everywhere. I mean, GM, Ford, Chrysler, Toyota, Honda, Nissan, Mercedes, BMW. You know, you, you list all of them. Everyone's coming out with an electric car. They have to. And I keep yeah. pointing, and they have to. By law, yeah. they, they have, have to. to. Yeah. Right. So here we are a dozen years later. Hybrids, they work just fine. There's no range anxiety with a hybrid. 3% of the market. 2%, 2.5%. 2.7. Okay. So, and this is after 12 years of hybrids. So what happens with electrics, especially when everybody piles in at once? Yeah. I think what we're going to have is we will have a choice, of course. You can buy an electric vehicle, but I just don't know that it's going to take off as, as, uh, as, as it's billed or as it's promoted. Again, the bottleneck is going to be infrastructure. I think yeah. the savior of the electric vehicle is going to be the, young, the, the buyers that are not even in the market mm. yet those kids that are yeah. really 15 and younger, that it's their social responsibility. Yeah. It's, it's something they're growing up with. They feel like, you know, the, the um, saving the environment or being environmentally responsible is, is a core value for them. 
It, <laughs> it's not for any other people that are in the market right. right now. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's, it's, the electric vehicle will be there for them and, and they'll see it as a real alternative. But it's sort of mourning the loss of maybe they'll never hear the great exhaustion of a V8 right. engine either, <laughs> you know, which is a tragedy. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's like, so we'll see what happens. And the infrastructure, by the time they're ready to start buying in quantity, which is, you know, eight, nine years from now, uh, it'll be much better than it is today. So they'll kind of fall into it. It'll kind of all fall in place in time for them. And so it's really good that the industry is getting started now. It's costing them some money. But they're going to be ready oh, when the demand comes. There's no question. You've got to have, you've got to be in that market. Mm -hmm. You cannot right. afford to be out of it. And again, I think in terms of getting, again, not get back to harp on board, but in terms of the electric vehicle with the transit, I think that makes perfect ap application. You can, you're able to test that vehicle, you're able to make improvements on it, and you're using it in the best way possible. With that, we're going to have to wrap it up. We're going to have to have you all back in about a year, and I'm going to say, here's what you said on this show. Let's see how it all stands up. Rebecca Lindland, great having you. John Wakonowitz, Eric Merkel, great having all of Thank you guys you here. Much. And a programming note here, we're going to be off the air for the next three weeks as WTVS holds its pledge break, and as always, we encourage you to pledge.